Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. I want you to consider this question. What is your favorite story in Scripture? What is your favorite story in Scripture? And then maybe if you like, had an answer right away, maybe push you a little bit further. And, and why is that? Why would that be your favorite story? Now, I'm making a couple assumptions here. One is that you know at least one story from Scripture so that you can have a favorite, and then preferably that you know more than one so that there's at least a first and second in that exchange. But, but what, what is your favorite story? Uh, maybe there's one that it's like, Pastor, this is my all-time favorite. Maybe you have one, uh, depending on the circumstance, and there's a, several that would draw your heart. That, that's kind of how I am. I don't have one that's like my all-time favorite, but the one that is the closest to it you would find in Daniel chapter 3. And we're not actually going to go to Daniel chapter 3 this morning. I'm not going to unpack it for you. If you want to know about it, you're going to have to read it on your own and find out why it's my favorite. But in Daniel chapter 3, there's specifically one line that makes it my favorite, and this, this is my why. Uh, there's some men that are being pressed to compromise their faith, and they are being pressed unto the threat of death. And they look the king in the eye, and they say this, our God is able to deliver us from your hand, but even if he does not, kick rocks. Now, it doesn't say kick rocks. You got to read the rest of the story, but that's how, that's how I read it. And I love that story just because of the drawn line in the sand, uncompromising. If it costs me everything, I still will tell you to go kick rocks. I'm not compromising my faith. It's one of my favorite Daniel chapter 3. And as we begin our summer, our summer series this morning, we're going to be considering stories. And our summer series is going to be entitled, This is My Story. And as we go through this, we're going to be reminded of different stories through Scripture. We're going to have our pastors and leaders who are sharing uh, throughout this series share some of their own stories and, and uh, their own God moments. And we're going to be encouraging you, challenging you to share your own stories with the community around us, believing that our testimonies, that our stories, that the way that God has intersected our lives and made a difference in it, that as we share that, that we get to be a part of bringing heaven on earth. And if you remember just kind of the series that we've come out of, this idea that we want to see heaven in northeast Colorado, we want to see that demonstrated here, and our stories get to be oftentimes a part of introducing that. Uh, Much of the Bible, as it is written, is written as story. I don't know if you've ever stopped to actually think about that or contemplate that. In fact, most of the time on a Sunday morning when we're unpacking Scripture, you're going to hear a story about God's people in history. You're going to hear a story about the life and ministry of Jesus. Or you're going to hear stories that Jesus actually spoke because the primary way he taught about the truths of the kingdom of God was through the vehicle of storytelling. But the Bible is written mostly of, uh, as stories. Most of Jesus' teaching uh, was presented in the same way. There are 66 books in your Bible. There's over 40 authors that were a part of writing that, over 15 
hundred years. If you're like, whoa, you're blowing my mind, you can learn more of that in square one. If you sign up this fall, we go over some of that stuff. But in the duration of that, in that whole scope, 43% of the scripture content is written as story. It's written as a narrative. Events of people's lives and the way that God uh, intersected those or had a hand in those or directed those or interrupted those, and then stories that are told to illustrate God's ways and God's purposes and God's person. And I want you to consider a couple questions as we go into this series, because what we're going to do is this morning we're going to frame out the importance of the answer to these. And the first question is this, why would God choose to use stories to reveal himself in his ways? Right? Why, why, why would God choose to do that? In fact, why, why have the book really at all? Why, why would God choose to do what he did? Have a, a scope of revelation that is primarily written narrative to help us to see and understand who God is and how he would interact in our lives. Why, why would he choose story? Most of us long for just like, we just want like, can I just see an angel or something, right? Can I have something miraculous? I need something to interrupt my moments. Have you ever longed for just like signs and wonders, even if you read the gospels and see the life and ministry of Jesus and you think, man, if I could just see that, then my faith would be stronger or people would change or revival would happen. I would uh, remind you that if you actually read those gospels, that you're longing for those demonstrations to see that whole generations missed it, that Jesus was literally there in their face and people were like, no, nah, it's not you. Okay, so this idea that somehow if we see the dramatic, that that's going to make the difference, uh, I think is a misnomer. God uses story, I think, by design. And then the second question is not just why would God use story to reveal himself and to reveal his ways to us, but this question is personal and applicable. How might God use your story to do the same thing for someone else? Because most of Scripture, we're reading about how God interacted with a real-life person in a real-life place in a real-life context in human history, and He can do and will do the same in our lives as well. So why would God use stories, and how could He use my story? As you consider that thought, I want to encourage you to go ahead and get your Bible out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible app. And Lord, we pause and take a moment to prepare our hearts today. Lord, we prepare our hearts not just to hear a story or to consider that as a vehicle of the way that you would reveal yourself in our lives. Lord, we pause to soften our hearts to hear your truths. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you would speak to us through your living word, that you would give us the leading of your Holy Spirit and courageous faith to act on it and to put it into practice this very day. In Jesus' name, amen. With your Bible out, you can go ahead and go to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at just kind of a blanket statement that Mark makes that's kind of a summary statement of the ministry of Jesus. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as you go through the Gospels, oftentimes the author of those um, uh, compilations will have these summary statements that say, and at that time Jesus did all these kinds of things and all of this stuff was taking place because they can't actually in real time record everything that he did and said 
in completion. In fact, at the end of the book of John, John suggests this, that if everything that Jesus said or did was, was to be recorded in books, that not all the books in the world would be able to hold a comprehensive content. And so we get a picture, we get a summary, we get events, and we get insights in specific, kind of as the gospel writers and as scripture in whole brings out this narrative of God's desire to redeem you and I back to him. There's an overarching story of scripture, which is all about God's pursuing you and I to reconcile us back to himself. And in Mark chapter 4, you get to one of these summary statements, and I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, Mark chapter 4, verses 33 and 34, and it says this, Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand. In fact, in his public ministry, he never taught without using Parables. These are short stories that are illustrations that have a spiritual truth or component offered in them. But afterward, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. Now, this reads almost like there's a group that's getting gypped, uh, but there is a component in this that's really important for us to recognize, and it's this statement here that Jesus used stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they could understand stand. See, the thing about a story is a story is accessible to almost anybody, regardless of age, experience, regardless of whether or not you are literate and can read for yourself. A story that is even spoken or an oral tradition, everybody can kind of grasp the basic premise of how a story moves and flows. And one of the things that you find is the reason Jesus employed storytelling in the way that he taught about the things of the t- kingdom of God is so that anyone and everyone could hear and have a basic level of understanding with what's going on. Now, certainly there's stories that we read and we're like, man, there's got to be more to this and I'm not sure how to get there. And so there's growth and study and all kinds of things that you can do to add depth and insight to it. But the basic premise of all of the parables and the basic premise of the way that Scripture reads, you can grasp with just kind of a minimal uh, understanding. And here's what you find with Jesus. He adapted his teaching to the level of understanding to his listeners. So when he pulled his disciples aside and he went into depth a little bit more, it's because they could go into the depths a little bit more. And in the general teaching of the whole assembly, he would stay kind of light, right? Kingdom of God 101, so that everybody was on the same page. And one of the things that you find in Scripture is the reason why we see men and women who are, they are not, let's, let's say they are, they are not glossed over. A unique thing about Scripture is that people with their, kind of their, the, the dark side of them is, is always exposed right? They're never supposed to be greater than they actually are presented. In fact, most of them were presented with their flaws and foibles for everybody to see. But in doing so, we see how God interacts with the broken and the lost, those who make mistakes, those who walk in purposeful rebellion, those who are zealous and sincere but are off the mark, and a host of all other manner 
of places that you and I are tripped up in just the way that we live, and we see how God intersects their lives and draws them to a place of being whole and recovered time and time again because of his promises and not because of their performance. And so the story kind of helps us with that. And what I want to do is just really quickly, I want to give you four things that stories help us to grasp or understand or attain, and the reason why they are used so frequently by God in revealing himself and his ways to us. And the first thing is this. This is the first benefit of stories. Stories allow us to identify with those within it. Think of your favorite movie right now, right? There's probably a favorite character in that movie, and that's the character that you would wish to be if you had to. Uh, when I was in high school and kind of my early college years, the movie Tombstone came out. I don't know if you're a big fan of Tombstone, but me and my brother and my cousin and my friend, there were four of us, and we were all one of those characters. Uh, there was a Wyatt Earp, and there was a Doc Holliday, and there was a Virgil, and there was a Morgan, and, and we all, based on our kind of personalities and the ones that we desired to be, got to kind of pretend that we were that in kind of our setting. We would even dress up in our cowboy hats to watch the movie. I know, grown men do stuff like that. Uh, We were all single at the time. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But if you, you, you can see yourself in the stories. Think about Luke chapter 10. Maybe this is one of Jesus's parables you're familiar with, but it's the Good Samaritan. Many of you would be familiar with that, and there's a host of individuals in that story as Jesus unpacks it that you can see yourself as. You can see yourself as the traveler who is beset upon and taken advantage, who has been beaten and ground into the dirt. In fact, many of us can sympathize with that because life has done hardship to us. Some of us, unfortunately, could see ourselves as the one who perpetrated violence against somebody else because the ways that we have used our own power or exercised our own right has been to push or crush or belittle or cause harm to. It's oftentimes part of our story as well. And many of us would be able to see ourselves into the one of the individuals who are passerby, who are right with the Lord, and, and they have duty, and they have the things that they want to accomplish, and they see the need, but they don't see it as their responsibility, and so they keep on going. And many of us would hope to at least see a glimpse of ourselves in the Good Samaritan, the one who stopped and not only lended aid, but went above and beyond and took it upon himself to be the responsible party to see somebody restored and brought back to health and wholeness. See, we can see ourselves in that story, and it's helpful for us, and that's why these stories are used. The second thing that stories help us with is they allow us to safely hear difficult truths. You go back to the story of the Good Samaritan, we would all hope to be a Good Samaritan, but the more that you unpack that and imagine your face on the other individuals, the more you can, through self-awareness and honest reflection, see yourself there often as well. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, this is a place that maybe you want to go and study in this week as well. There is a prophet named Nathan, and he's got bad news for King David. King David had uh, abused his power and privilege, and he had taken advantage of a situation without going into the dark details of it. Again, you can read it on your own. That has taken place, and nobody's called him on it. 
In fact, he's done his very best to sweep it under the rug, and he's gone on with his life as if nothing has happened, and the prophet Nathan knows about it. The Lord has spoken to him about it, and he says, hey, Nate, you got to go tell David that he's got a problem. Now, I don't know if you like being the bearer of bad news, but most of us don't, and so Nathan shows up, and he's got to call King David out, and so wisely, he tells him a story. And in fact, what Nathan does is he tells him a story about somebody who abused their power and privilege and took advantage of the lowly and just presents it as a case study, a story before David. And David is enraged. He's angry. He's like, we're going to deal with this right now. And then Nathan says, surprise, it's you. And he was able to receive that. David was cut to the heart, and he was broken in repentance before the Lord. See, the story got him there. Nathan coming in saying, I know what you did, could have probably got Nathan beheaded. But the story prepared the heart to receive the hard truth. And that's one of the beautiful things about Scripture. One of the beautiful things about the way that God is so kind and gracious to you and I is he will often present stories and things for us to consider. And the Holy Spirit would say, hey, do you see anything of yourself in this story? And we think, well, I think I'm the hero. And he's like, mm, let's have a sidebar about that. And it's in that honest, open place of contemplation that we begin to allow the Lord to actually do some really deep and rich work in us. Things that often we shy away from because we're um, afraid of that dark place. And so stories bring us to that. They help us to identify with characters. They give us a place where our heart is open and soft before the Lord to kind of hear a hard truth. And the other thing that they do is they help us see what we can't see. And by what I mean by that is uh, primarily, especially in Jesus's ministry, he begins with the kingdom of heaven is at hand, which is a hard thing for us to grasp because for him to say, you can experience heaven on earth when all you've experienced to this point is just this broken earth, like we can't see that. In fact, oftentimes if you have a conversation with somebody and you have them kind of describe what their ideal of heaven would be, it would just be the things that they like about earth just kind of like better, right? So every cast is a fish, right? The gas tank is always full, Right? It's always sunny when you're teeing off, like, like that, as if heaven is just like a really good day off, because we, we can't think in heavenly terms because we're so bound by our earthly experience. And so the kingdom of heaven is at hand as Jesus began to preach and teach about the hope of living life eternally, even though you are here right now. He would say the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. Here are the things that are celebrated. Here are the things that are valued. Here are the things that are on offer. And this is the upside down way that the kingdom works, that if you want to be great, then you've got to be least. And if you are last, then you will be first. And the more you give away, the more that you are going to have. Like That doesn't make sense in the world that we live in, right? The more I work, then the better the reward. No, 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 no. You don't have to work for this. The more you rest. Wait, what? And so stories, the parables, they help us grasp these things, and they bring us to a place where we have what Jesus described as eyes to see 
and ears to hear the truth. It's spiritual perception because our physical eyes don't bring us to that type of thinking. And then the last thing that stories help us do is stories go beyond the moment in time and they transcend cultures and generations. Think about some of the great stories recorded in Scripture. Think about David and Goliath. Any culture, any generation at any time can grasp that story. Daniel in the lion's den, Jonah in the great fish. These are things that, that through generations, cross cultures, yield fruit and draw people to an understanding of who God is and how he might work in their life. A couple months ago, um, I did a funeral for a woman in our church family, and she had been a, a long-standing church family congregant and member. She and her husband were uh, really primary supporters of Beth and I when we first arrived here almost 12 years ago. And it was in 2016 that her husband had passed, and she was a widow, and we were all kind of concerned about how she was going to kind of maybe make her way forward. And she had like a new lease on life. She started taking dance lessons, right? In her late 70s, taking dance lessons. She's doing this, she's doing that. And then I remember the day that she said, Pastor Ben, I'd like you to meet my boyfriend. Yeah. Like 80 years old, has a new boyfriend, and she was like 16. And they were a, a beautiful couple, and she began to share with him stories from Scripture. Things that, as a grown man, and having kind of bounced in and out of church, stories he had never heard of. And you know what his favorite story was? It was David and Goliath. And he had never heard it until she shared it with him. And he was like, what? Like, God, whoa, like God would do that? And it was in those latter years of his life, he was in his late 80s, and passed a couple years prior to her, that he received Christ. As a result of her just sharing stories that you and I would almost take for granted that somebody would be at least cursorily familiar with. Stories go beyond the moment. They transcend culture and generations. And that's why God uses story. That's why Scripture is full of narrative and story. And here's the other thing. That's why your story is so important. What God has done in your life. And not just like the yay moments, because there are broken parts of your story that have been redeemed, there are broken parts of your story that are in need of redemption. But when you look at the stories in Scripture, none of those dark points are glossed over or skipped over. In fact, oftentimes they are highlighted for the specific purpose of showing how God deals with those places of failure and brokenness. And when we begin to see the Lord intersect our story and begin to share that with others, all of a sudden our story becomes a vehicle for people to see and understand who God is and how he might offer hope to them in their situation. Because it lets them see themselves in us. And it lets them learn hard truths that we learned the hard way. 
It helps them to see the spiritual that we experience, but have a hard time articulating. Well, I just, I'm not sure how to. Has anybody ever asked you, like, why you come to church? I've had conversations with so many of our church family who they begin to describe what it feels like to be in the presence of God. And, and without being able to get, like, their words wrapped around it, it always lands on, well, you know what, let me tell you a story. The first time I came here and I walked in the back and the music started, I started to cry. And I don't know what that's all about, but I know it happened. Like they can begin to articulate how God is moving in their lives. And everybody can grasp that, where if anybody threw a theological term about the presence of God to you, you may or may not even be interested in it. But the story, because you have a story and you want those types of stories. And so what I want to do really briefly, if you move over to Luke chapter 18, we're going to look at a single parable just briefly this morning, and we're going to see how these kind of elements of story help us to unpack this parable. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 9, it says this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. If you were hearing him begin this story, you'd be like, classic good guy, bad guy story. Right? Classic good guy, bad guy story. And in the context, the good guy would be the Pharisee and the bad guy would be the tax collector. Many of you are uh, kind of churched enough to know that the Pharisees missed a lot of things. And so you might have that immediately reversed and be like, classic good guy, bad story, and just put the hats on the other components. But that's how they would begin to... Uh, view this story, and then it begins to go into the action. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You can almost see him throwing his thumb out. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Okay, now immediately, some of you are already snickering. It seems a little bit presumptuous. It's certainly crazy rude. But the thing is, he said something out loud that many of us often think. We just don't say it out loud. The temptation to compare ourselves one to another, like it's almost automatic. And the things that he's celebrating, you wouldn't actually say are wrong. Like, he, he's not a scoundrel. He's not a robber. He's not exercising usury. He's not an evildoer or an adulterer. He's moral. He's upstanding. We would actually celebrate those things as demonstrations of godly character. And then he moves to his spiritual discipline. I fast twice a week, and I'm generous with what I have. Like, he's spiritually disciplined. He's generous with the things that he has. All of those things are things that we would celebrate. We would just say he's kind of a jerk, right? Singling out this guy. And so that's how it's presented. And then the action shifts. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. A man so broken 
a man so destitute and aware of the things that are true of him that he wouldn't even look to heaven as he cried out in his prayer. And then verse 14, it says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves be exalted. And so Jesus brings us kind of to the the moral application of it, looking at humility specifically. But the parable is a vehicle. Man, it creates so much tension for us. Because where do you want to be in the story? Do you want to be the tax collector? We kind of want to say yes, because at the end, he's justified before God. But he was a man who was accustomed to usury and exploitation. He abused his power and privilege and took from those who were weaker. There was a reason why tax collectors were looked down upon and seen as sinners. It's because they lived their lives that way. His life was broken and jacked up, and he used his brokenness to break others. I don't really want to be that guy. But then you have the Pharisee who's got it all together, right? He's attending church, he's learned it in scripture, he's spiritually disciplined, he's not doing all the naughty things and he's generous with what he has, but very clearly he's got his actions right and his heart is wrong. It's like, "Mm, uh, I don't really wanna be that guy either. Like I'm tempted to just wanna be a guy who's listening to Jesus tell the story about the other guys and be like, yeah, Jesus, yeah, you tell him, right? That's where I'd rather be, but we're not necessarily given that privilege in the story. And it's purposeful. Because if you sit and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to look and dig in you, you'll find both of those people present at times in your life. Where you're sincere before the Lord and you're broken and humble, but your life is in shambles and there's some things that need to get right. In places where you've got some things put together and you've got yourself maybe cleaned up, but your heart, especially towards others, is wayward. And that's what story does. That's what story does. Because it wouldn't be helpful for you, for me, or anyone else to come to you and say, hmm, you're kind of a Pharisee today. Like, that doesn't help you. You know, you're kind of a scoundrelly tax collector. Like, it doesn't help you. You can't even hear that. But when we interact with the living Word of God, and we allow the Spirit to search our hearts, He can bring us to these places. And honestly, there's one right response that's celebrated and it's the humility. It's not the outward life with the wrong heart, and it's not the broken life with the right response. It's the cry for God, have mercy on me. That word mercy is a a propitious term. It means that it is a word that is favorably disposed towards. It's not God, have mercy on me, just withhold your judgment. And it's not, God, have mercy on me, give me pity. Oh, poor, poor me. The word means, God, show your favor to me in in spite. It's, It's a lowliness and it's a humble plea. And honestly, that is where Jesus is trying to draw all of the listeners to regardless of whether they see themselves or one or the other, or they'd like to skirt to the outside and say, I'm not, I'm not even a party of this story. Like, I'm in a different story, better story. 
regardless of how that would look, he's drawing us to this place where the one right response is, God, have mercy on me. It's an acknowledgement of our need. And both men are in a place of neediness. Both men need a sincere move of God and a need to receive from the Lord. And the story brings us to that place. And Jesus tells us that God is pleased with the humility demonstrated. The humility is something that ends up being celebrated, and we can all be reminded of that and drawn to that place. Worship team, as you come forward, church family, I want to ask you to stand. We're going to take just a few minutes to think about this. And rather than to ask you to see yourself as one person in this story, or rather than to kind of unpack the many different threads that might be there, the response that is celebrated is the response that says, God, have mercy on me. It's the response that says, God, I I have a need, and I have nowhere else that this need could be met. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that just for a moment that you think about the place in your life where neediness is expressed. You know, some of the places that that neediness might be might, might have to do with forgiveness and repentance. It may be some things in your life that you need to relinquish to the Lord and, and really ask for His forgiveness. But your neediness can be expressed in so many other ways. You may be dealing with grief right now. That, that suffocating type of sorrow and loss where you're awake and you're alive and you're going through the motions of your life but you, you feel almost paralyzed inside. And your need would be, God, God, have mercy on me. Like show your favor in that place, in that, in that need. Maybe you're in that place where in your spirit your mind and your emotions, you, just, you feel dry. I've had whole seasons of my life like that. Where I knew that God was close and present, where I would cry out to Him, where I would seek His face, but it, it, it felt like He was far off. You know, out here in Northeast Colorado, when, when it doesn't rain, like you guys, you guys know how dry it gets. And the condition of the soil, it changes. In August, after two, three weeks and no moisture, I can't get the blade of my shovel to penetrate the dirt in my yard. Like, it's concrete. It's hard. And you may be in a place where the dryness of your heart and your soul, like you're, just, you're hard-hearted before the Lord, and, and you, need, you need His grace to rain down on your life. Have mercy on me. You may need that in a relationship. You may need some very specific and timely provision. You may be in need of comfort or care. There's, there's all matter of neediness, both practical and, and real and material and, and things that are spiritual and immaterial in us. And the response would be for us to have eyes to see and ears to hear, to acknowledge our place of need, and then have a humility that would say, God, have mercy mercy on me. 
Lord, would you meet us in our neediness today? Lord, in each heart here, whether that would be a, a deep need of forgiveness and salvation and restoration, whether that would be a need, Lord, for freedom, Lord, whether that would be a need for healing and wholeness or comfort or provision or a sense of your presence and goodness in their life, would you meet that need? Lord, we would say, have mercy on me today. And Lord, this week, as we search your scriptures, Lord, give us eyes to see ourselves in those stories. Give us ears that are willing to hear difficult truths. Lord, give us an understanding to perceive uh, what, what is true about your kingdom and how it can impact our life and the way that it can be applied and the hope that we can offer others. Lord, come and, and rest on us by your spirit. Have mercy on us. And your word says that those who would humble themselves before you would be lifted up. Lord, that you are the lifter of our head. So as we bow ourselves before you and acknowledge our neediness today, Lord, may we rise in a confidence that you are the one who meets those needs. In Jesus' name, amen. If God can use stories to demonstrate truths about himself and his ways and to illustrate how he could and would work in the life of another, he can do the same with your story. And I want to encourage you this week and as we go through this series to begin to share your story, your God moments and your friendships and your relationships and your partnerships and your comings and your goings that you would be quick to recall what God has done. Quick to recall what God is doing and to offer that hope to others. Amen. Amen. Action steps for you up here. A little bit of homework. I want to uh, encourage you to read the parables in Mark chapter 4. So we focused on a couple of verses prior to that. Jesus actually taught three or four parables right before that. I want to encourage you to read those. Place yourself within those stories and consider the truths that are present there. And then begin to share your own story with others as you have opportunity this week.